church and through the gospel, um, just, just, think, just reveling in the wisdom of God and, and ordaining uh, two things, just, just two. He could have, he could have uh, commanded us to do a whole lot of things, right? But there were just two that he commanded us to do. One was to baptize people, and number two was to celebrate communion together. And uh, just the beauty and the power of those two uh, ordinances, those two things that God ordained uh, for us to do as the church, as the body of Christ, um, uh, just never ceases to amaze me um, the influential role uh, they play in the ongoing growth and development and maturing of, of a church. And so um, I just think it's important from time to time to give instruction about those ordinances. And uh, I've often taught uh, messages on baptism and the importance of baptism. And uh, I think it's also important to, to preach messages on the importance of communion and the Lord's Supper. And so I felt like this was an appropriate time. We just came off of one, kind of still on the high of our last ordinance together. And, and then this morning we come right into uh, our second ordinance. And I thought we, we could talk about that this morning. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the passage that I've already read, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's instruction here on the Lord's Supper more in depth. And... Um, the way I, I, I look at this passage, and, and I don't know, you'll see maybe by the time we're done why I look at it or view it from this perspective, but I think you could call um, what Paul was doing here uh, as the Lord's table manners. The Lord's table manners. Now, if you had come over to our house when our kids were younger uh, and had a meal with us, during the course of that meal, you would probably have heard Kelly or me say things to our kids like, hey, don't talk with your mouth full. Or take smaller bites, you know, this is not a race, you don't have to eat the whole thing in one bite, right? Don't play with your food, chew with your mouth closed, don't talk to the dogs or look at the dogs while we're at the table, right? We don't want them to be mooches, right? So don't do that. Um, Don't reach for stuff, ask uh, for things to be passed, get your elbows off the table, say please, say thank you, Uh, don't get up without being asked to be excused, And so I'm sure just like you, right, we tried to teach our kids to have good table manners. And sometimes it even involved discipline to help them learn how to act politely at the table. There were occasions where we had to excuse them from the table. They didn't like to be excused this way from the table, right, where we would go together to the bedroom and have to have a little time with Mr. Rod and... uh, and, and just talk about the importance of obe- obedience and, and politeness and, and, and obeying mommy and daddy at the table. And, and so why? Well, we, we all know how annoying and unappetizing it can be to eat with a rude person with bad manners. Hopefully you're not that person, right? Um, that's why it's, it's so important that children learn the polite and proper way to act while eating at the table. Well, it's infinitely more important that we as God's children are well-mannered while eating at the Lord's table. Nothing grieves our Heavenly Father more than when His children have bad manners at the meal commemorating the death of His precious Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, He takes it so seriously that He will discipline those children who rudely dishonor Christ during the most sacred occasion that the church gathers for. And that's exactly what... Um, what he had to do with some of the members in the church of Corinth who had bad manners at the Lord's table. 
When they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they were not acting the way they were supposed to act. And as a result, God disciplined some of them, and that's why it says a number of them got sick, and some even slept, which is a euphemism in the New Testament, for they died because of their rude, disobedient behavior at the Lord's table. You say, man, what in the world could they have done at the Lord's table that was so bad that God killed them for it? And I'm really glad I made it through alive this morning. I haven't, I'm not dead yet, so I must have not done it, whatever they did, right? Well, it's not so much what they did or didn't do. It, it really comes down to the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. And in God's mind, there's nothing more sacred, right, than the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we commemorate at the Lord's Supper. Well, according to the book of Acts, we know that the early church was devoted to taking the Lord's Supper every time they met for worship. So it was probably like an every Sunday occurrence. There's some churches that do that. They have communion every Sunday. But uh, it was customary back in the first century for a local church to, to gather together to worship, and then they would share a meal together afterwards uh, and then conclude that meal with communion. That meal was referred to as the love feast because of the love that was to be displayed by the believers in sharing food that they brought from home to share with with each other. It was like a giant potluck, if you will. And the climax of that love feast was the sharing together of the bread and the cup. And in Corinth, this love feast had degenerated into a gluttonous, drunken party. Notice the context here of our text, verse 20 Therefore, when you meet together, Paul says, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And so apparently, the the wealthy believers who attended the church would bring lots of food, Uh, to this love feast, but instead of sharing it, they would keep it all to themselves. And oftentimes the the poorer saints that who who served as slaves would have to arrive later because they were having to come from work. And by that time the rich people had already devoured all the food. All the food was gone. And so consequently the poor people were going hungry while the rich people were selfishly gorging themselves and and some even getting drunk. I mean imagine coming to communion this morning drunk. Under the influence of alcohol. I mean, that, that would just be uh, very dishonoring, right, to the Lord and to the, to the celebration of communion. And so what God had originally instituted and intended to edify and, and to unify the church turned into something that, that rather tore down the church and divided the church. Notice verse 17. He said, but in giving this instruction... I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. This is supposed to be helping you as a church, and it's not. It's hurting you. You're you're worse off because you're you're having communion together. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. And so it was obvious here that there were divisions, there were factions in the church, which Paul said isn't necessarily all bad because, uh, you know, it definitely shows who's who, right? It, it brings to the surface whose who side people are on and, and what's really in their heart, but it's very dishonoring and displeasing to the Lord when there's, there's factions and, and divisions in the church. 
In fact, Paul started this whole letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, advocating for unity. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. I don't, I don't want there to be any divisions. That you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so here this, this church was divided, and, and, and part of the problem, uh, one of the many problems in the church of Corinth that Paul had to address in this letter was, was the way they were practicing communion. And so in order to correct uh, this problem, Paul taught them the proper way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He taught them how to have good manners at the Lord's table. And so I want us to see here in verses 23 through 34 here uh, how Paul explained five ways that we're supposed to act uh, at the Lord's table in order to, to, to avoid the discipline of the Lord. That's key here. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. And in other words, these are, these are the five things that, that we need to, to, to do um, whenever we celebrate communion. This is what a communion service is all about, okay? So let's look at these these things that, that, that uh, communion was intended to be, and, and hopefully you can maybe, uh, I almost uh, flipped around the service and, and preached before we took communion just so we could kind of prepare our hearts for communion, but now uh, we can just maybe look back on what we did previously in the service, and you evaluate what was going on in your mind and what was going on in your heart uh, during that little 10, 15-minute window where you know we were taking the, the bread and taking the cup, and you were meditating in your heart and your mind, you were praying, you were uh, listening to Blake play the little song he plays and, you know, whatever. What, what, how did you do? Okay, so this is a good opportunity to evaluate. See if, 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 if these five things were true of your time. Uh, number one, okay, communion is a time of commemoration. It's a time of commemoration. It's a time to remember the death of Christ. It's a time to remember the death of Christ, and this is probably what's most well-known about communion. If I had asked you, hey, what's communion all about? There's a, you would probably have told me, survey says, number one answer is to remember, right? And we get that from the words of Christ, and Paul says here in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, and the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me, underline that, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, underline that. And so we talk about communion being a time of commemoration, to commemorate something means to to recall something, to show respect for someone in a ceremony, and that's really what, what communion is, it's a ceremony commemorating the death of Jesus Christ. And Paul began his instruction here by, by confirming that what he had already taught them about the Lord's Supper, this wasn't the first time he, he gave them instruction. This was more of a reminder, more of a correction, if you will, that, that what he taught them previously went back to the words of Jesus himself. And he even implies here that maybe Jesus personally um, communicated with Paul at some point. Obviously, Paul wasn't at the, in the upper room with the other disciples, right? Even though he's often known as the, the 13th disciple or the 13th apostle, he was never there. But I think maybe God included him because of the significant role, right, that he was to play in the lives of the Gentiles, um, that, that God, Jesus gave him some kind of revelation, special revelation uh, in regards to communion. 
And so he, he replayed the scene here in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for the first time. So it's almost as if he was giving an eyewitness, even though he wasn't an eyewitness. Right? He wasn't there like Peter and James and John and others um, and, and the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They were all there to, to witness that. Um, Paul wasn't, but he had this special revelation. But he, but he, he talks about it as if, as if he was there. Now, we, we know that that night uh, was the night that Judas betrayed Jesus and Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover meal, and which is very significant. You need to understand the the, the, the Passover. If you don't understand the Passover, you don't understand communion. So the Passover was a, a commemoration, a celebration that was held every year by the Jews as a memorial of God rescuing them from slavery to who? Egypt, right? And the name Passover came from the final plague when God killed the firstborn of every living creature and the death angel what, passed over, right, the houses of the Jews who obeyed God's command and killed that lamb and wiped the blood of that lamb over the doorpost. And so God commanded the nation on that very night, um, the Israelites, to celebrate this event every year from that time on so they would never, what, forget. They would never forget God's goodness and delivering them out of Egypt. However, even though that was a very significant celebration, the number one celebration, by the way, uh, in Judaism, uh, it was simply a picture of how God was going to someday deliver the world from slavery to sin. And so the very next day, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to be sacrificed on the cross and His blood would cover our sins so that God's wrath would pass over us. And so on that night, Jesus transformed the Jewish celebration of Passover into the Christian celebration of the Lord's Supper. And in the same way that God commanded the Israelites to, to celebrate Passover as a continual reminder of the Exodus, Jesus Christ commanded his followers to celebrate communion as a continual reminder of the cross. And ever since... That night, the Lord's Supper has been considered one of the, the two ordinances, right, of, of the church. Again, an ordinance is something that Christ ordained, Christ commanded his followers to practice on a regular basis. So that night in the upper room, two times, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's the key word there, remember. What does it mean to remember? It means to call back into memory of some kind of vivid experience, uh, recapture the reality of an event. And so when we uh, remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he, 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 he endured for us, we, we are to relive, if you will, the agony and the suffering of the death of Christ and reflect on its significance for our lives. And so communion is, is a time to reflect on the awesome sacrifice that Christ made for us when he died on the cross in our place. And so first and foremost, the Lord's table is a time to remember the death of Christ. A time to remember the death of Christ. And hopefully, 
if you didn't do anything else in our time of communion this morning, you were thinking about the cross, right? You're, you're remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for you on the cross. That's the point of the, the elements. The bread represents his broken body, the body he gave, and the cup, obviously the juice, represents his blood. And so just the imagery, it's built in that we would remember, right, his sacrifice of his, of his life for us. But that's not all that, that communion was uh, ordained for or commanded by the Lord. I think there were some other elements um, that, that God intended f- uh, to take place within our hearts and within the a local body of believers whenever we take communion. The second one would be proclamation. It's not just a time of commemoration. It's a time of proclamation. It's a time to profess faith in Christ. Notice verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, what? Proclaim the Lord's death. That word proclaim means to to make a solemn announcement, to, to publicly profess or affirm what you believe. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We, we know that baptism um, is, is that opportunity for us to publicly profess, right, faith in Christ. We, we, we proclaim that we're a Christian, right? Um, but guess what? Every time you take communion, you get to do the same thing. Baptism isn't the only time you get to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ. Every time you take communion, every time you take that little piece of bread, every time you take that little sip of juice, you are proclaiming the gospel. And so whenever Christians take communion, you are basically saying, I'm a Christian. You're standing up and saying, give me, give me a piece of that. Give me a cup of that. I'm one of you. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And, and really, we are preaching a sermon, and it's a silent sermon. Nobody can hear any audible words uh, coming out of our mouths, but, but basically, uh, this is the message that we are preaching collectively as a body. Uh, we are proclaiming uh, when we take communion. First of all, we are, we are proclaiming that we believe we are sinners who deserve to die and go to hell. We're proclaiming that. We're professing that. Secondly, we're proclaiming, we're professing that we believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross in our place. That's what we're proclaiming. That's what we're professing. And we're also professing, we're also proclaiming that we believe that the only way we can be forgiven for our sin and saved from death and hell is by repenting of our sin and placing our faith solely in Christ's death on the cross. And so that's what we're affirming when we take communion. And so that's why, obviously, the Lord's Supper is not for unbelievers. It's for believers only. It's only for those who affirm these things. If you don't affirm these things, well, why would you take communion? And in fact, if you take communion without affirming those things, you are mocking communion. You are, I think, in one sense, doing what it says in verse 27 taking communion in an unworthy manner and therefore guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so that's why you've gotten used to me, right, before we take communion. I say, hey, time out. Just so you know, if if um, if you're not a Christian here, if you're not born again, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then we want to encourage you, let these plates pass by. 
We don't want you to take a piece of bread. We don't want you to take a cup. Why? Because you have no part of this. This is not for you. This is for those who affirm faith in Christ. And uh, you, you just need to sit and listen. Sit and listen to the silent sermon that's screaming the gospel. As we're going through this, these, 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 this little ceremony, this time of commemoration, it's, it's preaching the gospel. And, you know, I, nobody ever taught me, hey, before you, um, you know, oversee communion and administer the elements, make sure you, you tell, tell them if they're not a Christian, don't take it. I, nobody ever told me to do that. But just having grown up in the church and, and uh, being a part of many communion services and then being in, obviously in Bible college and seminary and, and studying and, and, and learning about the significance of communion, it just, it just comes out naturally. I just started saying it uh, when we started the church and, and, and it just kind of started coming out of my mouth and it wasn't even planned. I didn't write it down. It wasn't inten- intentional or deliberate. It, was just, it just kind of came out that, hey, we've got to make sure there's one thing clear here. Who takes this and who doesn't take this? Because you go to a lot of churches today, right? Um, and, and they celebrate communion, and, and it's, it's assumed that if you're in the room, you're taking communion. That's just what you do, right? Um, and I would say probably the, 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 the way that, that uh, communion is violated more than any other way in the church today, right, is, is people uh, taking communion. they got no business taking communion. Um, there, was a, there was a couple sitting in, in first service, who are longtime members of our church. And they are uh, members of our church today, but more importantly, uh, members of the family of God because of a communion service that they went to. And they heard me say, hey, listen, if you're not a Christian, don't take communion this morning. And it kind of, they hadn't heard that before, and it kind of caused them to stop and think about it. And, uh, and, and the gentleman even reminded me this morning, he said, yeah, I'll never forget when you said that, that I just totally, it finally dawned on me that I was, I didn't belong here. I was out of my element. I was around, a, I was an unbeliever around a bunch of believers. What was I doing here? But that's what God used to prompt, right? That thinking, that thought process prompted him to, to embrace the gospel. And uh, his wife received Christ at a communion service four years previously to that. And so they both got saved at communion services here at our church. How cool is that? Um, again, just to remind us, what, what are we doing? We're, every time we, take the, we share, uh, share communion together, we're, we're preaching the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel. And it's, it's, it's so cool. You think about, oh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't, don't need to preach the gospel at church on Sunday morning. You've got to do that out there during the week, right? Well, guess what? Once a month, we get to preach the gospel to be reminded ourselves of the gospel, but also to anyone who's here who's not a believer, they're hearing the gospel. And so the Lord's table is a, is a time to publicly profess our faith in Christ's death alone for our salvation. Well, there's more. You say, well, that, that was already enough. I, there's a lot going on. I mean, uh, I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about that I was sharing the gospel with an unbeliever who's here this morning or modeling the gospel. Um, but there's more. Number three, communion is also a time of anticipation. A time of anticipation. It's a, it's a time to anticipate the return of Christ. Notice verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he, what? Comes. 
And so I don't know if you've thought about this. I think you all know, right, that communion is, is obviously a time to look back at Christ's death. But do you realize that Jesus also intended it to be a time to look forward to his return? A time to look forward to his return. Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to heaven. And before he left, he promised that he would come back someday and take his followers to be with him in heaven. And and interesting, Matthew records in his gospel on the night uh, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said in Matthew 26, 29, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words... Jesus is looking forward to, quote-unquote, having communion with us, right, when we get to heaven. That he said, I instituted this tonight, and I'm not going to do it again until eternity. And we know that heaven is pictured as, 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 as eating this great feast with God, and, and so Jesus is anticipating that day when he can celebrate a meal together with his followers like he did in that upper room on the night before he was crucified. Charles Hodge, the the great Princeton theologian, said this, As the Passover was a perpetual commemoration of the deliverance out of Egypt and a prediction of the coming and death of the Lamb of God, so the Lord's Supper is at once a commemoration of the death of Christ and a pledge of His coming the second time. Someone added this, The Lord's Supper is a link between His two comings, the monument of one and the pledge of another. And so when you come on the first Sunday of the month and you walk in and you see this table, this makeshift table, by the way, uh, most of you probably, if you grew up in church like me, every every Sunday I walked into church and I was thinking of communion, even if we didn't celebrate communion, because there was this table that was always there in front of the pulpit and on the front of the table was carved what? Do this in remembrance of me, right? And so it was a weekly reminder of, of the cross, but when you come and you see this makeshift table that we put up, hopefully you see it as this, as this link between Christ's first coming and his second coming. You start immediately thinking, your mind immediately begins to go back to the cross, but it also goes to eternity. And it goes at a time when Christ returns. And so that's why there's a mixture of both sorrow and joy when we take communion together. Because you're gonna, you're, it's like, uh, which way do I think here? I'm, okay, I'm thinking about the cross, and that makes me sad because Jesus had to die on the cross for my sin. And, 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 but boy, it makes me happy because I, it's a reminder that, guess what? He's coming back to get me, a forgiven, freed sinner. And so there's this conflict, right, in, in, in our hearts and our minds as we're celebrating communion. There's sorrow and joy mixed together beautifully. And so the Lord's table is a time to anticipate the Lord's return. And I don't know how many of you actually even thought about the fact that Jesus was coming back. Maybe you spent all your time focused on the fact that, that Jesus hung on a cross for you, and that's awesome, but save some time, right, in communion, right, to be thinking about his return. Think about him coming in the clouds to receive his, his own. Well, probably the, the other part of communion that we're most aware of is this fourth element, this fourth aspect, and that's examination. Examination. It's an opportunity to check for sin against Christ, to check for sin against Christ. And this is really the heart of the issue here that Paul was getting at in verses 27 to 32. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
And so partaking in the Lord's Supper in a way that dishonors the worth of what it represents, the incalculable cost of the cross, that's what it means to to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. You say, well, talk to me about that. What does that look like practically? How, how, How do I know whether or not I'm guilty of bringing dishonor on the Lord Jesus Christ by the way I'm taking communion? Well, first of all, do you take it ritualistically? Do you take it ritualistically? In other words, do you, when you take communion, do you believe that by taking it, you're earning your salvation? You're earning your way to heaven. In other words, you view it as a means of grace to save you or to keep you saved. That's heresy. And um, there, there were plenty of people in the church um, throughout the history of the church that stood up against that ritualistic um, tendency when it came to the Lord's Supper. And they were actually willing to die, right, for communion not to become ritualistic. Um, if you know anything about the, 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 the reign of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary in, in England, she was trying to um, kind of bring Catholicism back into the Church of England. And one way she was doing that was by reinstituting transubstantiation, which is the view that when, when you take communion, that the, the, the bread uh, and the, the, the wine literally turn into the body and the blood of Christ. Like literally. You're eating the, the blood and uh, eating the flesh and the blood of Christ. And, and uh, of course, what theologically what that means is you're re-sacrificing Christ every time you take communion instead of the once and for all sacrifice that he made on the cross, right, 2,000 years ago. And so there was men that said, no way, Jose, we're not going to do that. That's not what our churches are going to teach. That's not what we're going to believe. And so they stood up against Queen Mary, and guess what, they, guess what she did? She burned them at the stake because they were standing up against this ritualistic um, kind of rote, going through the motions, if you will, thinking that somehow communion or you know, the Eucharist, as it was called back then, was a part of your salvation. It was one of the things you had to do to earn your salvation. So if you're taking it ritualistically, thinking somehow it's going to save you, then you're dishonoring the worth of Christ. Secondly, um, if you take it irreverently, if you take it irreverently, in other words, it just kind of has become, you know, we do it all the time and it's just like I'm just going through the motions and I'm kind of apathetic and indifferent and just, you know, no big deal. Well, as I just mentioned, not only did Christ give his life so that we could take communion, right? But so have countless other men in church history who've died, sacrificed themselves so that we could have communion in his biblical fashion, Right? I mean, how could you sit here and take it flippantly, right? I mean, this, this, was, a, this, was, a, this was a big deal here. Um, uh, I, th- I think a third, a third way that we can dishonor the Lord when we take communion is to take it unrepentantly. To take it unrepentantly. In other words, you hold, you're holding on to some sin that you're unwilling to confess and forsake or being unwilling to reconcile with another member of the body of Christ. In other words, you, 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 it's not that you're like, uh, oh, I sinned this week, so I can't take communion. Like, you don't have to have a perfect week, right, to take communion. No, the fact that you had an imperfect week is why you take communion, right? Because you can embrace the forgiveness that God secured for you on the cross, right? But if you, at the same time, if, you're, if you know there's sin in your life, 
that you're unwilling to confess and repent of. In other words, you're like, you know what? I know I've got this issue in my life. I know I'm in sin and, and, and I'm not willing to give it up yet. Uh, or I know that there's this relationship that, that is unresolved, it's unreconciled, and I'm not willing to deal with that yet, then guess what? You need to let those plates pass by. Because if you take communion with an unrepentant heart, with an unwillingness to, to put away sin and to reconcile with other believers, um, then, you're, then you're drinking and in, in, in doing this, and in, in, you're guilty of, of taking communion in an unworthy manner. Paul said, if we do any of these things, we're guilty of sinning against the worth of Christ's death. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. The writer of Hebrews didn't mess, man. He just, he just said it. And it was scary, some, some of the things he said. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, he says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which, the, by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? In other words, it's an, it's an insult to the Spirit of God when you dishonor the Son of God. We could talk about the Trinity there and how they're all connected, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But I, I guess what? The Spirit of God gets offended when the Son of God is, in, is, is dishonored. He says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think that's exactly what happened to the Corinthians. They had fallen into the hands of the living God. They had treated Christ's death in an unworthy way, and God judged them. They got sick, and some of them even died. Why? Because they failed to honestly examine themselves. Notice what he goes on to say. But, verse 28, a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he see eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so how do you make sure you don't you're not guilty of taking communion in an unworthy manner. You need to examine yourself, and in so doing, you're to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So a couple words here. He's talking about examining yourself and judging yourself, which, by the way, mean the same exact thing. To examine yourself is to judge yourself. To judge yourself is to examine yourself. To, to examine yourself, the word there is dokimazo in the Greek, which means uh, uh, used to test metal to see whether it was genuine or not. And so the idea is, is that you need to thoroughly examine yourself to, to ensure that everything in your life is right with the Lord. It's kind of like a doctor giving you a... A, a, a physical exam, right? He checks you out from head to toe. In a similar way, we need to give ourselves a complete spiritual checkup. We need to check our actions. We need to check our, our words, our attitudes, our thoughts, our motives, our relationships. And he describes it further on as, as judging ourselves. In other words, evaluating your life, acknowledging your own guilt, in other words, you don't have to have anybody tell you you're guilty. You don't have to have a judge say, you're guilty. You know, say, hey, I'm guilty. <laughs> I know I'm guilty. And so you come uh, judging yourself, not defending yourself, not making excuses for your sin. You confess your sin, and God is faithful and just to what? 
to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But, he says, if you're not willing to judge yourself before taking the Lord's Supper, then you are inviting God to judge you. You're basically saying, okay, God, you're inviting Him to judge you. In other words, if we don't deal with our sin, then God will. God will discipline us just as a father disciplines his children until we confess and we forsake our sin. You know, I love the, the, the Puritans for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I find very fascinating about them is, is, is they took this command to exam, examine themselves so seriously that, that whenever there was a Sunday morning communion service, they also would schedule a Saturday night examination service. In other words, they didn't count on the few minutes while, you know, um, you know you, the, the guys were passing the stuff around the room. That wasn't enough time to, to deal with all the issues in your life. So let's, let's come together on Saturday night. Let's make sure that we, uh, we examine ourselves and we judge ourselves, right, so that when we come to, to communion the next morning, we're ready. And we won't dishonor the Lord and, and take communion in an unworthy manner. So the Lord's table is a time to examine our life and deal with any unconfessed sin and, and make it right with God. I, have, I haven't thought about this um, before, but we talk about how you know, communion uh, or, or baptism is a time of accountability, right? It's a, it's a, it's a corporate um, event where you profess publicly right, your love for Christ, and, and, and with that comes a sense of accountability. You're identifying with Christ, and you're identifying with the body of Christ and saying, hey, I'm one of you, and, I, and you're inviting accountability, right? And I, and I never thought about this, but I think in, in, in this very same way, when we're here together in a public forum, we don't just, you know, take communion by ourselves in our houses, right? We do it here together, and, and, and we actually watch one another take communion. I'm not advocating we're just kind of doing this the whole time, looking around. This is a very personal, private time, right, with the Lord. But there's a corporate nature, as we're going to see in the, next, in the final point here, there's a corporate nature to this, and it's really you're inviting accountability as you're sitting there, and you take that piece of bread out of that tray, and you take that cup out of that tray, and you eat that bread, and you drink that cup, Basically, what you're saying is, I profess faith in Jesus Christ, I'm identifying with Christ, I'm identifying with the body of Christ, and, and so that person down the, the sitting next to you, um, whether it be your spouse, or your parent, your dad, your mother, uh, your brother or sister, um, they can hold that against you, in a good way. Like, hey, wait a minute, time out. Honey, you just took communion this morning, acting all spiritual and stuff, you know, like, like you love Jesus, and so why are you talking to me that way? Why are you treating me that way? Or, hey, kids, I, hey, you took communion this morning, and, and hey, why, why are you dishonoring us? Why are you dis- disrespecting us? You're being a hypocrite, right? Um, or, if need be, you know, you know another brother or sister in the Lord, and you happen to, to see them on communion Sunday, and they were there, and you know, right, that they have some unresolved sin issue or some unreconciled relationship, and it's your responsibility. They're making themselves accountable by showing up and taking communion. They're, making them, they're inviting you to come and, and, and address that issue in their life. I mean, this is serious stuff. I mean, I've, I've shared this before with you, uh, the story of John Calvin. John Calvin in Geneva, uh, when he uh, took over the ministry there during the time of the Reformation, 
he had to deal with a group of people called the Libertines, and it was a law, it was written in law in Geneva that you could have one mistress. Couldn't have more than that, but you could have one mistress. And so there was people in the church who, who bought into that. They said, well, it's the law. We, we need to obey the law. We're, we're, we're within the bounds of the law. We can do this. And Calvin's like, what are you talking about? That's, that's disobedience to God's word. You need to be faithful to your wife, right? And so these, this group of guys called the Libertines who, who basically, um, uh, you know, uh, showed off, bo- uh, um, uh, were proud of their liberty. Um, they kind of were real cocky about it. And everybody knew that they were living in sin and they, would, they, they assumed that they could take communion. And, and so John Calvin said, there's no way. Literally, John Calvin said, over my dead body, you're taking communion because I know you're living in sin and you're making a mockery of, of, of the Lord's Supper. And so Calvin would be up here and, and, and he would you know, maybe preach the sermon and he would bless the elements and then he would come down and stand next to the table uh, as the people would come. And on that particular Sunday, there was this crisis where this thing kind of came to a head and the Libertines showed up with, with scabbards and swords and they were basically saying, we're taking communion no matter what and nobody's going to stop us. And so they showed up with their swords drawn. They walked up and said, and Calvin put his arms around the elements to protect them and said, basically, you can cut off my arms, but you're not taking communion this morning. I mean, I love that, John Calvin, right? What, what a great example of, the, hey, you guys aren't taking this seriously. You're, you're not examining your life. Um, that I'm going to protect the elements. I, I have a pastor friend who said that, that there was a particular guy who, who he and the elders knew uh, in the church was, was being factious and, and uh, not everyone knew this, but he was just being subversive and going around and creating all these um, disagreements and divisions in the church and he was an, an unruly man. And so uh, one Sunday morning, the pastor noticed him coming in and he knew it was Communion Sunday and, and he, was, uh, he wanted to make sure that this guy didn't take communion. And so during the communion service, the pastor left wherever he was and went over and stood right by the row where this guy was at and just stared at him, just, just looked at him. Like, don't you dare take communion this morning because I know what you're up to. I mean, this is like serious stuff, right? We don't want to dishonor the Lord. We need to make sure there's a time of examination. Well, lastly, and this is, I think, an element of communion that is, that is too often overlooked, and that is unification. That is unification. It's a, a, communion is a time to, to unite with the body of Christ. Notice the, just the, the, the language in the last two verses, verse 33 and 34. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. And so, two times he, he says this come together, right? This phrase come together. So it's communion to the Lord's Supper is a time of coming together of the members of the body of Christ. We, we, we call it communion, which is from the Greek word koinonia, and you don't probably know Greek, but you do know koinonia means what? Fellowship, right? It's the having a sharing in common. That's the idea. And even in uh, the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul says this, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? And so he's talking about communion. He's talking about how it's a sharing together. Since there is one bread, verse 17, we are one 
But we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so again, a, a communion is a, is a time to remember that we are the body of Christ. We're, we're one unit, right? We're, some of us are eyes or ears or toes or arms or legs or whatever, right? We're, we're all part of the body of Christ, we, and we share life together. And we're sharing this moment together. And so communion is a, is a beautiful demonstration of the unity and the harmony of all those who are part of the body of Christ. And that's why I also try to say from time to time, if you're visiting with us this morning and you are a believer, you are a Christian, but you're, you, you're visiting from another church, um, please take communion with us. This is not just only Lakeside Bible Church members can take communion here. No, it's, it's a sharing of the body of Christ. And if you know Jesus, right, you're welcome to take communion here. Well, that's not the case in Corinth, right? There wasn't much unity. There wasn't much harmony in that church at this time. There was dissension. There was division among the church members. They weren't lovingly and patiently participating together, but they were acting rudely and selfishly. And so Paul told them to wait for one another. You see that? He says to wait for one another so they could all participate together in a unified manner. And so when you think about it, really, in its most basic element, the Lord's Supper is a family meal. It's like, it's like having supper together as a family. And um, when we come to the table together, we need to make sure that we're right with everyone else sitting around the table. And if we're not, then before eating, we need to reconcile with any brother or sister that we have an issue with, right? Matthew 5 says if you, if you know somebody has something against you, what do you do? You leave your offering there and you go. And then if somebody's offended you, you have somebody against something else, somebody else, you need to go to them, Matthew 18, right? If your brother sends you, go. So guess what? You're always going. It's never right for you to sit back and wait for them to come to you. There's no place for that in the scripture. It's, it's you go either way, whether, whether you've offended someone else or you've been offended, it's your responsibility to go and, and to seek to be reconciled. And so the way I like to think about communion, as I have already indicated with this Lord's table manners, is that here we are sitting down together at this huge banqueting table and God is the omniscient father who sits at the head of the Lord's table and by the fact that he's omniscient, I mean that he has perfect knowledge of everything that's going on in the family at any given time. He's an omniscient father. I'm a father, but I'm not omniscient. I try to keep up on what's going on in, 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 in my wife's life and my kids' lives and the relationships within our family, but I don't know everything. But God does. God knows everything that's going on in the life of this church. And you can't come to communion, to the table, if you will, and act like everything's okay if you have something between another brother or sister sitting at the table. It's hypocrisy. It's a mockery of the Lord's table. I mean, it's like when, when our kids were little and here I am sitting at the head of our table, our little kitchen table, and, 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 I, and I can tell the kids are like kicking each other under the table during the meal. And I just look at them and go, you think I'm stupid? You don't think I know what's going on? I don't know what's going on under the table? It means God's like, do you really think I'm that stupid? That I don't know that you're having trouble with you and she's having a trouble. She got sideways with you and he got cross-threaded with him and, and, and there's all these conflicts and divisions. Like God's like, seriously, you're going you're gonna to come to the table and, and have an attitude? 
Would that other brother or that other sister, seriously, you're going to wreck our time together? Get it right. Get it right. Why? Because if you're out of fellowship with another believer, you're out of fellowship with God. If you're not right with each other, right, you're not right with God. And so you need to get right with, with that person before you can be right with God. And so having regular communion services promotes and preserves unity within a church. Why? Because it forces church members to deal with any issues that, that have become between them, and they will, right? It's, just, it's bound to happen, right? There's a lot of stuff in the Bible about unity, 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 unity. Why? Because he knew we were going to struggle with unity. So we're forced to be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. So you think about it. I mean, some churches do this every Sunday. We do it once a month. And so for the sake of our church, you could just basically look at it this way. Every month, you have a reckoning with the cross. I mean, hopefully you're doing that on a daily basis. Every time you go to the Lord and His Word and in prayer, right? You're coming to the Lord, but there's something unique about communion service, about the Lord's Supper, that, that you are, you're, you're coming to the foot of the cross, and you need to give a reckoning of your life to the Lord, and it involves your relationship with Him, right, and any sins or, 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 or um, disobedience that has broken your fellowship, and also the fellowship that you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or your family members, and so Hey, enjoy your anger and bitterness and, and whatever you enjoy about getting sideways with people, right, and not resolving conflict. Enjoy that for three or four weeks, but then it's done. It's, it's got to stop, or you can't take communion. That's the point, right? So this was a, a beautiful way, wise way, right, for God um, to make sure that we keep short accounts with one another. Do you see what, what I'm saying here? We're forced to keep short accounts. We, we can't go longer than a month without getting right with each other. Hopefully you won't wait for communion to do that, but it is a good reminder that you better get right now or you're going to miss out on the blessing, right? The sweetness that communion was intended for us to be as, as the body of Christ. Well, these are the Lord's table manners. These are the ways we're supposed to act whenever we take communion together. We need to remember the death of Christ, profess faith in Christ, anticipate the return of Christ, check for sin against Christ, and unite with the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to apply these principles as we um, continue forward in our taking communion together as a church, and we have an opportunity just in a couple weeks on Good Friday, probably the most special communion service of the year, that we, we have an opportunity to put into practice what we've learned um, this morning. And so, Lord, if there are any, any um, sins in our lives or unreconciled relationships, Lord, that you would uh, begin burdening our hearts, that we've got a day of reckoning coming, a, day, a time of accountability coming in just a couple weeks where, where we're going to have to get that right, whatever it is in our lives, or we're not going to be able to, to celebrate uh, the, the, the communion the way you want us to on Good Friday. And so um, I just pray that you'd be working in all of our hearts and uh, granting repentance and, and granting reconciliation where it needs to be. 
for your honor and your glory and make just, just make our communion times just the, the highlight of our month every, every month we do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.